Good evening. I'm Adrian Sala, and you're listening to Wikisleep. Tonight is part two of an ongoing nightly Wikisleep series in which I'm reading The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Every day, I'll release a new section, each one about 30 minutes long, until the book is completed. Think of each episode as something akin to reading at night before bed. Smaller, bite-sized sections of an audiobook designed to lull you in to dreamland. Now, I know ads aren't the best for this experience. The one you just heard was likely super annoying. I will say that there's not another ad until the very end of the episode, so if you set your timer right, you can avoid it. But if you'd like to avoid them entirely, I suggest downloading the Wikisleep app. You get a lengthy free trial to test it out, and then, if you're enjoying the experience, it's only about a buck fifty a week. It's a small investment that can lead to better sleep and better mental health. Anyhow, for tonight, I hope you enjoy part two of The Metamorphosis. In part one, Gregor Samsa has woken to discover that he has morphed into an unrecognizable vermin. He is late for work, and his parents, sisters, and employers have just discovered the hideous creature he has become. The chief clerk now raised his voice. Mr. Samsa, he called to him, what is wrong? You barricade yourself in your room. Give us no more than yes or no for an answer. You are causing serious and unnecessary concern to your parents, and you fail. And I mention this just by the way. You fail to carry out your business duties in a way that is quite unheard of. I'm speaking here on behalf of your parents and of your employer, and really must request a clear and immediate explanation. I am astonished, quite astonished. I thought I knew you as a calm and sensible person, and now you suddenly seem to be showing off with peculiar whims. This morning, your employer did suggest a possible reason for your failure to appear, it's true. It had to do with the money that was recently entrusted to you but I came here to giving him my word of honor that that could not be the right explanation. But now that I see your incomprehensible stubbornness, I no longer feel any wish whatsoever to intercede on your behalf. And nor is your position all that secure. I had originally intended to say all this to you in private, but since you caused me to waste my time here for no good reason, I don't see why your parents should not also learn of it. Your turnover 
has been very unsatisfactory of late. I grant you that it's not the time of year to do especially good business. We recognize that. But there simply is no time of year to do no business at all, Mr. Samsa. We cannot allow there to be. But sir, called Gregor, beside himself and forgetting all else in the excitement. I'll open up immediately, just a moment. I'm slightly unwell, an attack of dizziness. I haven't been able to get up. I'm still in bed now. I'm quite fresh again now, though. I'm just getting out of bed. Just a moment. Be patient. It's not quite as easy as I'd thought. I'm quite alright now, though. It's shocking what can suddenly happen to a person. I was quite alright last night. My parents know about it, perhaps better than me. I had a small symptom of it last night already. They must have noticed. I don't know why I didn't let you know at work, but you always think you can get over an illness without staying at home. Please, don't make my parents suffer. There's no basis for any of the accusations you're making. Nobody ever said a word to me about any of these things. Maybe you haven't read the latest contracts I sent in. I'll set off with the 8 o'clock train as well. These few hours of rest have given me strength. You don't need to wait, sir. I'll be in the office soon after you. And please, be so good as to tell that to the boss and recommend me to him. And while Gregor gushed out these words, hardly knowing what he was saying, he made his way over to the chest of drawers. This was easily done, probably because of the practice he had had already in bed. Where now he tried to get himself upright. He really did want to open the door really did want to let them see him and to speak with the chief clerk. The others were being so insistent, and he was curious to learn what they would say when they caught sight of him. If they were shocked, then it would no longer be Gregor's responsibility and he could rest. If, however, they took everything calmly, he would still have no reason to be upset. And if he hurried, he really could be at the station for eight o'clock. The first few times he tried to climb up on the smooth chest of drawers, he just slid down again. But he finally gave himself one last swing and stood there upright. The lower part of his body was in serious pain, but he no longer gave any attention to it. 
Now he let himself fall against the back of a nearby chair and held tightly to the edges of it with his little legs. By now he had also calmed down and he kept quiet so that he could listen to what the chief clerk was saying. Did you understand a word of all of that? The chief clerk asked his parents. Surely he's not trying to make fools of us. Oh God, called his mother, who was already in tears. He could be seriously ill and were making him suffer. Greet, greet, she then cried. Mother, his sister called from the other side. They communicated across Gregor's room. You'll have to go for the doctor straight away. Gregor is ill. Quick, get the doctor. Did you hear the way Gregor spoke just now? That was the voice of an animal, said the chief clerk, with a calmness that was in contrast with his mother's screams. Anna, his father cried into the kitchen, through the entrance hall, clapping his hands. Get a locksmith here now. And the two girls, their skirts swishing, immediately ran out through the hall, wrenching open the front door of the flat as they went. How had his sister managed to get dressed so quickly? There was no sound of the door banging shut again. They must have left it open. People often do in homes where something awful has happened. Gregor, in contrast, had become much calmer, so they couldn't understand his words anymore, although they seemed clear enough to him. Clearer than before, perhaps his ears had become used to the sound. They had realized, though, that there was something wrong with him and were ready to help. The first response to his situation had been confident and wise, and that made him feel better. He felt that he had been drawn back in among people, and from the doctor and the locksmith he expected great and surprising achievements although he did not really distinguish one from the other. Whatever was said next would be crucial, so, in order to make his voice as clear as possible, he coughed a little. But taking care to do this not too loudly, as even this might well sound different from the way that a human coughs, and he was no longer sure he could judge this for himself. Meanwhile, it had become very quiet in the next room. Perhaps his parents were sat at the table whispering with the chief clerk. Or perhaps they were all pressed against the door and listening. Gregor slowly pushed his way over to the door with the chair. Once there, he let go of it and threw himself onto the door. 
holding himself upright against it and using the adhesive on the tips of his legs. He rested there a little while to recover from the effort involved and then set himself to the task of turning the key in the lock with his mouth. He seemed, unfortunately, to have no proper teeth. How was he then to grasp the key? For the lack of teeth was, of course, made up for with a very strong jaw. Using the jaw, he really was able to start turning the key. Ignoring the fact that he must have been causing some kind of damage as brown fluid came from his mouth, flowed over the key and dripped onto the floor. Listen, said the chief clerk in the next room. He's turning the key. Gregor was greatly encouraged by this, but they all should have been calling to him, his father and his mother too. Well done, Gregor, they should have cried. Keep at it. Keep hold of the law. And with the idea that they were all excitedly following his efforts, he bit on the key with all his strength, paying no attention to the pain he was causing himself. As the key turned round, he turned around the lock with it, only holding himself upright with his mouth, and hung on to the key or pushed it down again with the whole weight of his body as needed. The clear sound of the lock as it snapped back was Gregor's sign that he could break his concentration, and as he regained his breath he said to himself, So, I didn't need the locksmith after all. Then he lay his head on the handle of the door to open it completely. Because he had to open the door this way, it was already wide open before he could be seen. He had first to slowly turn himself around one of the double doors, and he had to do it very carefully if he did not want to fall flat on his back before entering the room. He was still occupied with this difficult movement unable to pay attention to anything else when he heard the chief clerk exclaim aloud. Oh, it sounded like the sowing of the wind. Now he also saw him. He was nearest to the door. His hand pressed against his open mouth and slowly retreating as if driven by a steady and invisible force. Gregor's mother, her hair still disheveled from bed despite the chief clerk's being there, looked at his father. Then she unfolded her arms, took two steps forward toward Gregor, and sank down on the floor into her skirts that spread themselves out around her as her head disappeared down onto her breast. 
His father looked hostile and clenched his fists as if wanting to knock Gregor back into his room. Then he looked uncertainly around the living room, covered his eyes with his hands and wept so that his powerful chest shook. So Gregor did not go into the room, but leant against the inside of the other door, which was still held bolted in place. In this way, only half his body could be seen, along with his head above it, which he leant over to one side as he peered out at the others. Meanwhile, the day had become much lighter. Part of the endless grey-black building on the other side of the street, which was a hospital, could be seen quite clearly with the austere and regular line of the windows piercing its facade. The rain was still falling, now throwing down large, individual droplets, which hit the ground one at a time. The washing up from breakfast lay on the table. There was so much of it because, for Gregor's father, breakfast was the most important meal of the day and he would stretch it out for several hours as he sat reading a number of different newspapers. On the wall exactly opposite, there was a photograph of Gregor when he was a lieutenant in the army. His sword in hand, and a carefree smile on his face as he called forth respect for his uniform and his bearing. The door to the entrance hall was open, and as the front door of the flat was also open, he could see onto the landing and the stairs where they began their way down below. Now then, said Gregor, well aware that he was the only one to have kept calm. I'll get dressed straight away now, pack up my samples and set off. Will you please just let me leave? You can see, he said to the chief clerk, that I'm not stubborn and I like to do my job. Being a commercial traveler is arduous, but without traveling, I couldn't earn my living. So where are you going? Into the office, yes? Will you report everything accurately then? It's quite possible for someone to be temporarily unable to work, but that's just the right time to remember what's been achieved in the past and consider that later on, once the difficulty has been removed, you will certainly work with all the more diligence and concentration. You're well aware that I'm seriously in debt to her employer as well as having to look after my parents and my sister so that I'm trapped in this difficult situation. But I will work my way out of it again. Please don't make things any harder for me than they already are and don't take sides against me at the office. I know that nobody likes the travelers. 
They think we earn an enormous wage as well as having a soft time of it. That's just prejudice, but they have no particular reason to think better of it. But you, sir, you have a better overview than the rest of the staff, in fact. If I can say this in confidence, a better overview than the boss himself. It's very easy for a businessman like him to make mistakes about his employees and judge them more harshly than he should. And you're also well aware that we travelers spend almost the whole year away from the office so that we can very easily fall victim to gossip and chance and groundless complaints. And it's almost impossible to defend yourself from that sort of thing. We don't usually even hear about them. Or, if at all, it's when we arrive back home exhausted from a trip. And that's when we feel the harmful effects of what's been going on without even knowing what caused them. Please, don't go away. At least first say something to show that you grant that I am at least partly right. But the chief clerk had turned away as soon as Gregor had started to speak, and, with protruding lips, only stared back at him over his trembling shoulders as he left. He did not keep still for a moment while Gregor was speaking, but moved steadily toward the door without taking his eyes off him. He moved very gradually, as if there had been some secret prohibition on leaving the room. It was only when he had reached the entrance hall that he made a sudden movement, drew his foot from the living room, and rushed forward in a panic. In the hall, he stretched his right hand far out toward the stairway as if out there there were some supernatural force waiting to save him. Gregor realized that it was out of the question to let the chief clerk go away in this mood if his position in the firm was not to be put into extreme danger. That was something his parents did not understand very well. Over the years, they had become convinced that this job would provide Gregor for his entire life. And besides, they had so much to worry about at present that they had lost sight of any thought for the future. Gregor, though, did think about the future. The chief clerk had to be held back, calmed down, convinced and finally won over. The future of Gregor and his family depended on it. If only his sister were here. She was clever. She was already in tears while Gregor was still lying peacefully on his back. And the chief clerk was a lover of women. Surely she could persuade him. She would close the front door in the entrance hall and talk him out of his shock state. But his sister was not there. Gregor would have to do the job himself. 
and without considering that he was still not familiar with how well he could move about in his present state, or that his speech still might not, or probably would not, be understood, he let go of the door, pushed himself through the opening, tried to reach the chief clerk on the landing who, ridiculously, was holding on to the banister with both hands, but Gregor fell immediately over and, with a little scream as he sought something to hold on to, landed on his numerous little legs. Hardly had that happened then, for the first time that day, he began to feel alright with his body. The little legs had the solid ground under them. To his pleasure, they did exactly as he told them. They were even making the effort to carry him where he wanted to go, and he was soon believing that all his sorrows would soon be finally at an end. He held back the urge to move, but swayed from side to side as he crouched there on the floor. His mother was not far away in front of him and seemed, at first, quite engrossed in herself. But then, she suddenly jumped up with her arms outstretched and her fingers spread, shouting, Help, for pity's sake, help. The way she held her head suggested she wanted to see Gregor better. But the unthinking way she was hurrying backward showed that she did not. She had forgotten that the table was behind her with all the breakfast things on it. When she reached the table, she sat down quickly on it, without knowing what she was doing, without even seeming to notice that the coffee pot had been knocked over and a gush of coffee was pouring down onto the carpet. Mother, said Gregor gently, looking up at her, He had completely forgotten the chief clerk for the moment, but he could not help himself snapping in the air with his jaws at the sight of the flow of coffee. That set his mother screaming anew. She fled from the table and into the arms of his father as he rushed toward her. Gregor, though, had no time to spare for his parents now. The chief clerk had already reached the stairs. With his chin on the banister, he looked back for the last time. Gregor made a run for him. He wanted to be sure of reaching him. The chief clerk must have expected something as he leapt down several steps at once and disappeared his shouts resounding all around the staircase. The flight of the chief clerk seemed, unfortunately, to put Gregor's father into a panic as well. Until then, he had been relatively self-controlled, but now, instead of running after the chief clerk himself, or at least not impeding Gregor as he ran after him, 
Gregor's father seized the chief clerk's stick in his right hand, picked up a large newspaper from the table with his left, and used them to drive Gregor back into his room, stamping his foot at him as he went. Gregor's appeals to his father were of no help. His appeals were simply not understood. However much he humbly turned his head, his father merely stamped his foot all the harder. Across the room, despite the chilly weather, Gregor's mother had pulled open a window, leant far out of it and pressed her hands to her face. A strong draft of air flew in from the street toward the stairway. The curtains flew up, the newspapers on the table fluttered, and some of them were blown onto the floor. Nothing would stop Gregor's father as he drove him back, making hissing noises at him like a wild man. Gregor never had any practice in moving backward and was only able to go very slowly. If Gregor had been allowed to turn around, he would have been back in his room straight away, but he was afraid that if he took the time to do that, his father would become impatient, and there was the threat of a lethal blow to the back of his head from the stick in his father's hand at any moment. Eventually, though, Gregor realized that he had no choice as he saw to his disgust that he was quite incapable of going backward in a straight line. So he began, as quickly as possible and with frequent anxious glances at his father, to turn himself round. It went very slowly, but perhaps his father was able to see his good intentions as he did nothing to hinder him. In fact, now and then, he used the tip of his stick to give directions from a distance as to which way to turn. If only his father would stop that unbearable hissing, it was making Gregor quite confused. When he had nearly finished turning round, Still listening to that hissing, he made a mistake and turned himself back a little the way he had just come. He was pleased when he finally had his head in front of the doorway, but then saw that it was too narrow, and his body was too broad to get through it without further difficulty. In his present mood, it obviously didn't occur to his father to open the other side of the double door so that Gregor could have enough space to get through. He was merely fixed on the idea that Gregor should be got back into his room as quickly as possible. Nor would he have ever allowed Gregor the time to get himself upright as preparation for getting through the doorway. What he did, 
making more noise than ever, was to drive Gregor forward all the harder as if there had been nothing in the way. It sounded to Gregor as if there was now more than one father behind him. It was not a pleasant experience, and Gregor pushed himself into the doorway without regard for what might happen. One side of his body lifted itself. He lay at an angle in the doorway, one flank scraped on the white floor and was painfully injured, leaving vile brown flecks on it. Soon he was stuck fast and would not have been able to move at all by himself. The little legs along one side hung quivering in the air while those on the other side were pressed painfully against the ground. Then his father gave him a hefty shove from behind, which released him from where he was held and sent him flying and heavily bleeding deep into his room. The door was slammed shut with a stick, then, finally, all was quiet.